Close your eyes for a moment. Imagine, briefly, that you are in the desert. You've been wandering, but not lost. You're searching. As night falls and the temperature drops, a calmness washes over you, and you feel at peace. You know that it will be time to rest soon, but you must find it first. In the distance, you see a glow begin to emerge and take shape. You feel a lightness in your chest. It is almost time. You begin to speed up, your ambling stroll shifting into a jog and then a sprint, legs pumping in time with the beating of your heart. The horizon rises up to greet you. Soon, you will be there. Finally, the glow becomes solid. There it is, fully formed. The orb. Mystical luminance warming the very cockles of your still racing heart. Ripples of light dancing across your retinas. You can rest your weary mind now, for the message has been delivered. The orb has spoken to you like the whispers of so many angels in your ear. And you weep, for finally you know. Trolls Band Together is in cinemas November 17. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about the Las Vegas orb. <laughs> If there's one thing I love, it's the monuments that crumbling empires build for themselves. And ever since the orb, or as it's formerly known, this sphere at the Venetian resort, went live as a permanent fixture just off the main strip in Las Vegas, I have not been able to stop talking about it. And my friends are getting sick of me, which is why I have a podcast. You're coming on this journey. Let's go. (laughs) So if you've gotten to this point and you're like, what is she talking about? I beg of you, just like take a pause and Google Sphere Las Vegas and indulge in this very silly visual. If you don't have time for that, though, here's the short version. In 2018, the Madison Square Garden Company and Las Vegas Sands Corporation broke ground on a new project. These are development companies doing what development companies do, and as such, it probably wasn't news to anyone sort of outside of Las Vegas. But the project entered the mainstream consciousness on the 4th of July, 2023, when someone finally hit the on switch for this bad boy, and suddenly there was a giant spherical structure wrapped in screens, ablaze with animated fireworks to celebrate the public holiday, illuminating the Las Vegas skyline. It's difficult to emphasize how much this thing sticks out on the landscape, but it's like a multi-story office tower high and completely lit up with curved screens. And following its cute little fireworks display, it went on to show these like hyper-realistic images of spherical objects like the moon or an eyeball. So essentially, you could be driving into work one evening, going into deal blackjack or whatever it is people who live in Vegas do, and then suddenly an eye almost as tall as the casino that you work in could emerge from around the corner, dwarfing your tiny car, And then by some horrifying accidental sinking of animation, it could follow you along the overpass like some omnipotent god suddenly very concerned with the sin of your day job. And the digital realm was full of ominously phrased headlines like, Sphere, a light for the first time. The sphere is here. And the sphere can be bizarre 
or sublime. And Twitter, uh, I'm not calling it X, I refuse, had a field day, photoshopping their own images onto the orb and swearing loyalty to our new LED overlords. But to what end, you know? The sphere is here, yes, but to do what? Be bizarrely and sublimely alight? What does it do? (laughs) And this part was initially really unclear to me because when the sphere was first lit up, I saw one headline and like a little bit of video, and then I refused to do any further reading. I wanted to approach the sphere like a 16th century peasant. That is to allow myself to bathe in its glory, uh, maybe weep a little bit, and then sacrifice myself at the altar of its eternal mercy, you know? Uh, And then I showed a friend, and they were like, yes, but why? (laughs) And when I refused to look it up, they searched for themselves, and lucky for me and my desire to return to my potato farming peasant roots, the website was just sort of ominously blank with no real indication of what purpose the sphere was going to serve. And then like a week or so into its initial lighting, it was transformed into a basketball promoting the NBA. And we all just kind of assumed that it was for really expensive billboard advertising. But as of September, the orb has moved from being officially lit to being officially open. And we finally know that it is a 112 meter high, 157 meter wide concert venue wrapped in 54,000 square meters of LED screens on the outside and filled with an 18,600 person capacity auditorium that also features wraparound LED screens and a bunch of 4D stuff for an immersive concert experience. As an aside, I recently accidentally attended a 4D screening of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, part one. And by accidentally, I mean I knew that it was 4D, but I didn't fully understand what that meant. (laughs) And if you're unfamiliar with the concept of a 4D film experience, the cinema is equipped with motorized seats that move with the action on the screen. And like air and water puffers to spritz you whenever the movie shows water or a breeze. Uh, Sound good to you? Well, what followed was two hours and 43 minutes of my friend and I being violently tossed back and forth every time Tom Cruise took a hit to the face. And I'm not sure how much time you've spent with the Mission Impossible franchise, but one of the core tenets is that Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt, is repeatedly clobbered in the face by larger adversaries until he makes like a last minute comeback, you know? Whoever saw Mission Impossible and thought, the people need to literally feel the magic here, needs to suffer the same neck injury I did after almost three hours of being thrown around like a rag doll. Uh, Anyway, the Tom Cruise of it all aside, you might be wondering how such a spectacular venue chose to make its grand opening. Which artist did they secure to make a statement fit for the great and mysterious orb? What angelic chorus could possibly be gracing the serene curve of the great sphere? Uh, If you said a 25-concert residency from aging Irish rock band U2 in which they play the entirety of their 1991 album, Actung Baby, arguably not even their best album, without their regular drummer who is off having surgery, then you would be correct. And who wouldn't say that? It's the obvious choice. (laughs) This explains why I, and presumably you, heard nothing about the impending opening of the orb. We are so far outside the target demographic for orb-based residencies that they seem to appear spontaneously from the digital ether 
Like the withered hands of the edge reaching across time to remind us of when Apple forcibly uploaded a U2 album to our iTunes libraries. I don't even really know what my first choice would be to put on in the orb, but I can tell you that U2 and Actung Baby are so far down the list they barely even register. (laughs) But alas, because I am not in charge of orb-based bookings, uh, which is my new dream job, by the way, of any sphere-based entertainers are looking for a good time. (laughs) Um, Everyone under about 45 is being haunted by Bono against their will. (laughs) But look, to be fair, the inside of the sphere actually looks extremely cool. Uh, Basically, all the screens on the outside are sort of mirrored, meaning that you can do the same hyper-realistic displays uh, as you would on the outside. It's actually how I ended up deciding to write an episode about the orb, Uh, I saw a series of videos from the concert where the screens were made to look like you were coasting above the clouds at sunset or like there were bugs lined up sort of uniformly across the outside of the sphere. Uh, And unfortunately, those images were attached to a tweet that said, failing empires simply don't build things like this, Uh, which is incredibly funny to me because, buddy, let me tell you, that is exactly what a failing empire does. Welcome to the collapse of America. It is being rung in by the Irish getting funky in a desert orb, just as God intended. (laughs) But I began to wonder how much it would cost to build a perfect sphere wrapped in LED screens in the middle of the desert. And um, the answer is, by God, just so much money. (laughs) Uh, Before I kick off, much of this timeline comes from the very diligent reporting of Richard N. Velotta for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Um, He seems to have worked the orb beat for basically its entire development. Uh, Like I said at the beginning, this project was announced in early 2018 and ground was broken at the end of that same year. And it was initially projected to finish development in 2020 according to a very early announcement, although this was later pushed to 2021 in the same year. The projected cost wasn't revealed until 2019 uh, when Madison Square Garden Company or MSG Company advised shareholders that it would cost around $1.2 billion to construct. $1.2 billion. (laughs) Okay. Now, that's already a massive outlay of money, but the company was expecting it to become their busiest venue, so outstripping their namesake venue in New York. And at the time, MSG Company President Andrew Lustgarten advised that not only were the company going to provide Las Vegas's roughly 40 million annual visitors with a new experience, they were also going to, quote, create unprecedented opportunities for companies to engage with a very valuable audience, which we anticipate translating into meaningful, high-margin sponsorship revenue for the company, end quote. For anyone who doesn't speak corporate, that is uh, translated to a really big fancy billboard, (laughs) a $1.2 billion billboard. Anyway, in February of 2020, the company announced that the cost would be expanded to $1.66 billion to accommodate some design changes. And at this point, the developers were already around $250 million in the hole, but they were kind of confidently telling shareholders that they could deliver savings. And in the background to those shareholder meetings, the company was in the process of transporting the world's fourth largest crane, a DMAG CC8800 crawler crane, for all you crane heads out there, from Belgium to the build site. 
And it was so big that another crane was required to construct it over the course of 18 days. And unfortunately for both companies, just as the crane was up and running, early 2020 heralded in a pandemic and unrelenting global chaos, uh, which is now completely over with no lingering side effects. Phew! But by the end of March, the whole operation was shut down because of supply chain issues. The opening was pushed to 2023, and the delays meant that the out-of-control inflation that we're all having to live with right now hit the build really hard. Combined with a further expansion of project scope, the budget ballooned out to its final resting place of $2.3 billion. With every announcement that they made about the increase in cost, MSG company stock price just dropped, and they recorded net losses in the tens of millions throughout 2021 and 2022. $2.3 billion is an absolutely exorbitant amount of money that makes the sphere at the Venetian Vegas's most expensive structure. To contextualize that, the most expensive structure prior to that was the $1.9 billion Allegiant Stadium. But that's also a football stadium, and the national popularity of the NFL meant that it wasn't entirely privately funded. Portions of the money for that came from county taxes in and around the build site. And as a large stadium, Allegiant can also kind of be farmed out as a concert venue for the biggest touring acts around. K-pop juggernauts BTS, for example, performed to around 200,000 people there, and they pulled in over $35 million. Those are big numbers that will underpin like a consistent ongoing revenue stream from the NFL for that stadium. In contrast, the Orb, in its eternal ethereal glory, is multiple companies just kind of throwing money at the wall and hoping that it sticks. It is purely a concert slash experience venue. You can't see me, I'm doing big old air quotes around experience. Uh, So there's no sporting revenue, and it means that it has to make its money entirely from concerts, advertising, and experiences in whatever form those take. On top of that, the large curved LED screens mean that anyone who wants to play that venue and make it like a worthwhile show has to work with a specific studio team known as Sphere Studios, run by the same company, in order to put a show together. In and of itself, Sphere Studios is a nightmare of additional money outlay. The studios opened in Burbank, California in mid-2022 and involved the construction of a quarter-scale prototype of the Las Vegas Sphere in order to conduct test screenings. According to The Hollywood Reporter, CEO of MSG Entertainment Jim Dolan said that the production of anything for the Sphere and for any future Spheres would take place at Sphere Studios in Burbank. In order to get a decent picture going on the massive screens that wrap this up, they had to basically invent a new type of camera. They've also had to change the way that they record audio because the acoustics in a big dome shape are apparently difficult enough without the added complexity of doing the type of experiential 4D shit that they're trying to get going on in there. Don't ask me to get any more detailed about that because I'm not a scientist and I couldn't tell you how or why those things are true. But there's a design lab in Germany employed by Sphere Studios who could do that. So with the $2.3 billion, plus everything else involved with making an off-site studio team, how the hell is MSG company going to make their money back? Well, the Sphere at the Venetian intends to host about six residencies a year from various musical acts who are willing to get on board with this enormous outlay of cash. And in the downtime, they want to have a semi-permanent display happening so that people can come through 
and absorb the experience of the orb without having to outlay for a residency ticket. Plus, they're exploring a bunch of different commercial partnerships and charging for advertising on the outside of the sphere. Inexplicably, all these avenues have led them to a U2 residency and Darren Aronofsky for some reason. That's right. I know you, just like me, heard Big Orb in a Desert and thought, this needs the Irish and the guy who directed Requiem for a Dream and that psychological horror film Mother. My God, we're so in sync with the developers of The Sphere at the Venetian. We should oversee programming for the Desert Orb. I think we'd be great at it. Uh, Anyway, as mentioned, the whole situation made me do math. Uh, So prepare for some numbers, baby. I did some research into ticket prices for the show, which turned out to be surprisingly difficult because of the nightmare that is Ticketmaster's dynamic pricing. But it appears that they started off around the $140 mark and then became $300 almost immediately due to demand. Again, huge air quotes around demand. As of writing, the cheapest ticket was sitting at around $400 and the most expensive ticket was sitting at almost $1,500. Now, simple division-wise, the Sphere would have to sell 1,533,000 of the most expensive seats to break even. With an 18,600 capacity venue, that's a mere 82 sold-out shows. (laughs) But of course, that's not what the number actually is. Leaving aside that not every ticket is going to be $1,500 and not every show is going to be sold out, MSG Entertainment has paid $10 million for U2's residency. Now, that figure alone isn't insane in the realm of Vegas residencies. Celine Dion was paid around $681 million for hers. But the second part of the deal is crazy. (laughs) MSG has guaranteed 90% of their ticket sales from U2's residency to U2. They're keeping concession stand purchases, but I doubt anyone is spending $1,500 a piece on drinks for the evening. Or maybe they are. Maybe I'm just not as rich as the average U2 fan. But essentially, MSG isn't making any money from this run of shows, which is crazy considering how much money they're already out for the build alone. (laughs) Of course, U2 can't play every night, so they've also hired renowned filmmaker Darren Aronofsky to make an enormous feature film called Postcards from Earth. A shot in 18K resolution, a thing that literally didn't exist prior to this film, it'll reportedly play to 10,000 people five times a day, paying around $50 a head. Or like, it'll try to, I guess? Ignoring the fact that this reminds me of the giant IMAX screen that inexplicably exists in the Blue Mountains here in Australia which replayed this, like, plane ride over the three sisters three times a day to no one. I cannot imagine corralling 10,000 people a day to do anything, let alone see a movie. (laughs) Now, it might sound like I've taken a weird turn into being the sort of person who cares about a company going bankrupt, but I promise that that's not it. In every interview with the people constructing this monument in the desert, they keep promising that this is like a long-imagined future of entertainment, as though the yearning for the sphere was something that existed inside of us all along, and they were simply realizing our dreams. And all I can think is, is it? (laughs) I keep coming back to crumbling empires and the concept of bread and circuses. 
Bread and circuses refers to superficial appeasement of the masses through their most base desires, food and entertainment. But where is there to go in the pursuit of better and more perfect entertainment to distract from the ever-expanding garbage fire of climate change, fascistic creep, and geopolitical conflict? Now, I'm not a huge U2 fan, but one of the reasons that they're doing Actung Baby is because their original tour for the album, which was called The Zoo TV Tour, was actually this multimedia nightmare with screens everywhere. And it was supposed to be a commentary on media desensitization and disparate media programming that at one point featured a live stream from Sarajevo, which was in the process of having the shit bombed out of it. I do think that it's telling that the band's longtime stage designer, Willie Williams, initially thought that the show was a terrible idea because the spectacle of the multimedia experience that had made the original show so unique was now so ubiquitous, and that doing it on scale defeated both the artistic and political point of the original tour. Whatever they're doing in the sphere loses any edge it had because it's literally just entertainment revolutionized. Buy something at the snack stand and you've got your bread and your circus. The world can't get you, you know? Now, I am biased because I genuinely believe that being in the cinema is a perfect experience. A large and beautiful face is like God to me. But for all of our technological advancements, what counts as entertainment hasn't actually changed that much. People like to be told a good story. They like to see people play music and have a boogie. They like an emotional core. What they don't necessarily like is a venture capitalist coming in and reinventing the wheel every three minutes. When I saw Mission Impossible in all the horror of 4D, in between getting my shit rocked, I kept thinking, why would anyone want this? <laughs> People weren't sitting around their campfires being like, I just really feel like I would understand the experience of the night in battle better if someone stabbed me with a really big sword right now. <laughs> Which kind of just leaves me with my final thought. What does the desert orb bring to us but a shiny distraction and a reminder to drink Coca-Cola? So that was my episode on the Las Vegas orb. Um, I'm not going to lie, I was ready to swear fealty to the orb, and I still might, to be honest. I am a 16th century potato farming peasant at heart, and it is simply so large and full of mystery, you know? Uh, if you would like to join my orb-based cult and help me ring in the future of total and all-consuming entertainment, talk to me about it next time you see me at the pub. Peace! This episode of Pop Culture Burner was written and recorded by Alex Johnson and produced and edited by Wesley Fay. The theme song is also by Wesley. Check out popcultureburner.com for full episode notes and sources. We'd really appreciate if you could subscribe, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts so more people can find us. Pop Culture Burner is produced on the stolen lands of the Wongal and Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples and we honour and respect them and all First Peoples as the traditional custodians of the lands we live and work on. Mm, orbs. <laughs> <laughs>